If you have your Bibles, please turn to the ninth chapter of Mark's Gospel. If you don't, the words will be on the insert of your bulletin. There's also a pew Bible in front of you, or should be. Our Lord Jesus never spoke or acted as though we should or could expect evil in our world to lessen or to stop. If that were the case, He would have admonished us about how over time we could expect the need for our faith to lessen since life would get easier without so much evil. Rather, He told us, in John 16:33 that we will have tribulation in this world his disciple in 1 Peter 4:12 wrote that trials would be such a normal part of our experience as believers under the sun that even fiery trials shouldn't come as any kind of surprise to us paul tells us in 2 Timothy 3:12 that all who desire to live life the way god has called us to will be persecuted Implying that wherever God's people are throughout the whole world at any time, people would eventually be even violent against the word of Jesus and against the people who bear it. He tells us in Ephesians 6.12 that we don't wrestle as the church in this world against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and spiritual powers ruling over this present darkness. The angel speaking to John, the apostle in Revelation 22.11 tells him to let the evildoer still do evil. Let the filthy still be filthy. As Jesus assures us that he is coming soon. Beloved, the lives we live in this world over time as the days and years go by will require our faith to increase, not decrease. Nobody ever retires from the need for complete dependency on Jesus. Evil will increase. This should be expected. Filthiness will increase. Objections to God's word in the gospel will become increasingly hostile. As Satan the accuser moves closer and closer to his date with the lake of fire prepared for him and all his angels, he's going to get more irrational, more violent, more hateful against the sheep in this world until all that crescendos near the end of time. And as Peter's rebuke just revealed in Mark 8, when we are naturally people that want Jesus to get rid of evil and end our difficulties and make our lives easier, all of these things put together mean our faith in Jesus will also be under the constant threat of our own increasing desires for ease and cleanliness and comfort. Coming down from the mountain of transfiguration where Jesus was seen in all his glory and proclaimed to be the one to whom we all must listen above all others, he runs into another demon who has possessed a young boy, this time with epileptic-like symptoms. And so the authority of Jesus will be emphasized again in this section of Mark, but equally important for us to see here is the necessity of faith and dependence on God. Not just in this generation, which Jesus reprimanded for their unbelief. Not just on this Father, which Jesus is challenging to have greater faith. Not just in His disciples who continue to need His healing touch on their eyes in the face of the power of evil in this world. But by way of the Holy Spirit in God's Word this morning, we must all realize together in this time and in this place, The necessity of full dependence on God to resist evil and to embrace the way of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your promised presence with us this morning as we gather 
under the blood and righteousness and victory of our risen Lord Jesus Christ. God, for your name's sake, for your gospel's sake and for your people and for those you mean to bring to yourself, would you please overshadow me completely and take over all that I am in my mind and with my mouth to help me preach your word and do the same for everyone here that they might hear and believe. I ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. We begin at verse 14 of Mark chapter 9. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. So Jesus and the three disciples, remember Peter, James, and John, they returned from the mountain. Just as they're about to rejoin the disciples, they realize that a great crowd is around them, and the scribes are arguing with the disciples. Few things shake our faith like coming down off the mountaintop to the grind of everyday life. So they come down from the mountaintop, walk into an argument. Maybe the scribes heard this man searching for the healing power of Jesus, and so they followed him to test Jesus, challenge his authority. Then when his disciples failed to be able to cast out the demon, an argument over spiritual authority ensued. Maybe that's what they're arguing about. This begins as another confrontation story, but if you'll notice, it changes very quickly to a healing and a teaching story as the scribes aren't even mentioned again. Jesus doesn't even deal with them here. This man in the crowd, the text says, are greatly amazed when Jesus appears. And that word there, the, 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 the phrase carries more with it than just this sense of being excited over his appearance. This amazement is almost like emotional distress here. They're excited, but there's something about him. They're a little afraid. The only explanation of this kind of amazement in context would be that Jesus still has something of the glory of the transfiguration coming down off the mountain, much like as the Israelites were fearful when Moses came down off the mountain and all he did was reflect the glory of God in his face. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God in person. Well, Jesus wants to know what this scuttlebutt is all about. What are you guys arguing about? The one that steps forward and answers is the father of this boy who has a spirit that makes him mute. He says in verse 18 that he asked the disciples to cast it out. They weren't able to do it. This demon has also or has rendered this man's son unable to speak. In verse 25, Jesus will also mention deafness. The symptoms, however, are amazingly similar to epilepsy. He collapses. He grinds his teeth, foams at the mouth, goes completely stiff, rigid, being paralyzed. It sounds like the boy has what we would think of as grand mal seizures. It's not that Mark or the people present here didn't know the difference between epilepsy, and so they, they mistakenly thought the boy was possessed by a demon. Jesus confirms this boy is possessed by a demon. The symptoms of it, the way that you know it, looks just like epilepsy. That's what the demon is doing to the boy. Demons are often said to cause physical symptoms in the Gospels. We've seen demons cause muteness and blindness in Matthew, deformity in Luke, violent behavior in Mark. Again, Never should we conclude that if there's a disability or a disease or an issue that the devil has done it or a demon is possessing a person. It's simply that at times, as this time, 
We find that demons can cause physical symptoms in people and cause them to suffer in that way. And Jesus recognizes this not as a disease or epilepsy, but this boy is possessed by a demon. Does Jesus have power over a demon like this? Because the disciples didn't, apparently. But that's very strange. If if you're remembering the whole Gospel of Mark or the Gospels, period, because when they returned earlier back in chapter 6, after Jesus had sent them out, they were rejoicing that they had cast out many demons. I believe in Luke they even said that the demons are subject to us in your name. They were so excited about this. But here, for some reason, they've failed. They're unable to manifest the power and authority of Jesus that they've done in the past. Why? One reason we'll get to, it's mentioned specifically later in verse 29, but notice the first thing that Jesus rebukes here. Look at verse 19 again. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. Jesus doesn't use a sweeping term like generation just to call out nine of the disciples This whole generation in Israel, including his disciples, we're finding here, lacked faith in Jesus and in his authority. We'll find here he's not critiquing their faith. He's critiquing the object of their faith. He's not saying you don't have enough faith. You're a faithless generation. He's talking about where their faith is placed. Jesus is speaking from the perspective of oneness with God here, coming down off that mountain. Jesus is not a part of of this unbelieving generation, but he's in it and he's speaking truth from heaven into it. He's frustrated at their stubborn and persistent unbelief in spite of who he has proven that he is. Beloved, remember this whole section from chapter 8 to chapter 10 deals with the inability of the disciples to fully grasp Jesus as the Messiah and what it means to truly follow him. It started with the two-stage healing of a blind man through which Jesus showed them they'll continue to need his ongoing touch on their souls to follow him. It will end this section with the healing of another blind man to bookend our understanding of this section of Jesus as the one who gives sight. But, beloved, the first reason his disciples could not cast out this demon in verse 9 is because they did not have enough faith in the name of Jesus. They'd been successful before. Maybe now they believe they didn't need to be as dependent on his name as their authority as they had been in the past. They're failing here because they still need him just as much as they needed him in the past. And apparently they don't realize that. They still need his touch. There's no Christian ministry done in the genuine power of the Holy Spirit without ongoing, even increasing dependency on Jesus. You and I never collect the power to do what we are called to do. But their unbelief that causes frustration in Jesus does not lead to his rejection of his disciples. But his action on their behalf as the Son of God. Jesus is remaining faithful to his mission. Bring him to me. And so in verse 20, they brought the boy to him. And when the Spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy. And he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, it's very rare in the healing accounts of the Gospels, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, 
If you can. All things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. And the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. We see the compassion of Jesus here as he watches what this demon is doing to this little boy. How long has this been happening to him? And I know I'm, I'm, I'm saying little boy. The dad says from childhood. I don't think the boy is very old. But the father, here's the point. The father cannot remember a time when his son wasn't suffering. And listen to the, or this father has watched as this demon threw his boy into fire. Threw his boy into rivers or Streams or maybe the sea, whatever it was, to destroy him. This demon wants to kill this boy. Apparently, the only thing stopping that is that when the demon does these kinds of things to this boy, the dad is with him. The dad probably never leaves his boy's side because of this. And so that's the only barrier between this demon and the boy is the dad's protective care, and it's running out. Right? As, as a child grows, a father's ability to protect them gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And so he's at the end of his rope. He's worried. He's scared, obviously. This demon wants to kill this boy. If you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus is the last option for this dad. Now the dad is finally in the right place. If not Jesus, no one can help. His boy's going to die the minute he's outside the protective eye of his father. Verse 23, and Jesus said to him, if you can. All things are possible for one who believes. The exchange between this father and Jesus is one of the most, I'm quoting here, poignant and powerful in Scripture. And I agree with that. This exchange is phenomenal. I love this dad. I love Jesus here. I don't think Jesus is yelling at the dad in verse 23 when he says, if you can, or if you can, I think he's looking at the father the same way he often looked at the disciples who were struggling to believe, of course I can. Of course I can. All things are possible for one who believes. Not just immaterial belief. What is he talking about? In me. In me. Now, remember verse 19 here and what the deepest issue is, because if we don't, we can really misinterpret and misuse Verse 23, and people have for years, faith healers make all their money on this verse and others like it. If you just have enough faith, you'll be healed. Now you can imagine over time what that does to people when they don't see somebody they love getting healed. It's a me problem. I don't have enough faith. I don't have enough faith. So what do they do? They work on their faith. They work on themselves. Right? And the person they love goes on not being healed, not being cured. So faith healers that come in and promise enough will get you what you want, they make money on that, right? And so that's why so often you have to sow a seed by sending money into a faith healer to make sure because that's, that's going to do what? That's going to show your faith. And so what they don't ever do on those shows is interview the people that have gone bankrupt donating to these anti-Christian clowns without any healing. But they're very rich. They're doing very well because if you can make money off of something, find a way to make it off of people's fear, 
And you'll be very rich in a world like this. Is that what Jesus is saying? Is that what Jesus is saying? That with the right amount of faith, you're able to work up inside yourself, you can get whatever you want from God. All things are possible for one who believes. For one thing, that would seem to go against what Jesus has just said it means to follow him. Taking up your cross and denying yourself. That would seem to go against that idea. But even more so, what is faith? That's what we need to understand here. What is faith? First of all, faith is the gift of God, according to Paul in Ephesians 2. We can't create faith by a decision or by our will. It's a supernatural thing. We don't decide to follow Jesus unless God creates faith in us. Faith is not where the power is then. The power of faith is in its source and in its object. What was their faithlessness in verse 19? What is Jesus frustrated about? I've been here. I've proven myself. Why do you keep not believing in me? People can believe amazingly unbelievable things on their own. We don't really have a faith problem. We have an object of faith problem as people. Jesus says, if you can. But in essence, he's asking the dad, if you can, Jesus. And Jesus is saying, of course I can. Just believe in me. Believe in me. That's the root of the man's question. He doesn't know if Jesus can do this. And Jesus is saying, I can do this. Believe in me. The dad was looking at his son's possession, the magnitude of it, rather than looking at Jesus. And that was what was shaping his faith. Which I'm sure it would have been what shaped my faith too. I'm not criticizing the dad here. But the issue is not whether Jesus has enough power to heal the boy. The issue is a willingness on the part of the dad to believe in Jesus. The point is not that with enough faith you can get anything. The point is that God has the power to do anything. So lean on him when you're in need. It is not the amount of our faith but the object of our faith. If our faith is in our faith, nothing God desires to do through His Son in His people will be accomplished. But with the faith of a mustard seed, small amount. So, the Bible doesn't tell us you need a greater amount of faith. No, no, no. With the faith of a mustard seed, Jesus says. Small amount. In Jesus, big object. You and I could move mountains. When faith is in the sovereign Lord of the universe, nothing is impossible. We keep trying to work up more, right, for our Christian lives. Improving ourselves, strengthening our faith and our own abilities. With God is nothing more than a supplement to me and what I want to do for Him. We, we say that so much. This is my ministry. This is what I want to do for God. So your serving of God is all about you. When what we need is a deeper and fuller grasp of our God in the person of His Son. Don't focus on your faith to move mountains. Focus on its object. The man's plea in verse 22 is centered on his own limited understanding of who Jesus is. Maybe you can help, right? 
Jesus is responding in verse 23, basically saying, do you know who I am? Verse 24, immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. Beloved, this is what we must learn to cry out. Because this is always true of each and every one of us. I believe. Help my unbelief. That when when you pray, when you're looking to God for something, you feel somewhere in there as much as you feel faith in Him, you're crying out to Him, you are doubting. I am doubting. Right? It's, there's, there's fear in there. There's the unknown in there. This is the statement of dependence we need to make our own so that Jesus might accomplish His will in us. The dad has made a conscious decision to believe Jesus can heal his son despite his wavering feelings. But he also recognizes in this moment after what Jesus has just said, that truth be told in his humanity, he's still weak. He's actually still unbelieving. And only if God gives him the power to believe in Jesus as he should, is he going to be able to believe well. That's what he's saying. All right, I, believe, I, I do believe, but I don't. I believe, but help my unbelief. What's ironic is that the second part of that cry, that's the cry of faith. Help my unbelief. That's the cry of faith. That's what faith looks like. Not like, look how much faith I have, so do what I'm asking you to do. But I need you so much. That's faith. That's faith. If you don't do this, it cannot be done. Beloved, when God's grace working in our lives brings us to the place where we realize we need greater faith in Him rather than more faith in ourselves and in our efforts and abilities, that is the essence of true faith. Yes, Lord, I believe you, but I don't believe. Help me. Right? I see people, God, I see things, but they look like trees walking to me. Help me. I know who you are. I believe you. I've seen your glory. But this mountain in front of me is so big. What's in front of me is so hard. It's so difficult. It's so painful. It's so impossible. Help me. There. There is where we need to be, beloved. Every second of every day for everything. We don't feel the need for dependence on God until we reach something that we believe in our strength we can't do. So we're not depending on God for anything that we think we can handle ourselves. Forgetting that if it's not for the hand of the Lord, we aren't eating lunch today. We're not able to put the fork in and put it up to our mouths. It's not going to happen. This is my Father's world. He is sovereign over it and over every person. Nothing is happening that glorifies Him apart from His mighty hand. Every Christian in this room, every believer, has some level of authentic saving faith in his or her heart. But the intensity of that faith is not always constant. And Jesus is showing us that the power of evil and the power of our flesh in this world will require more than some feeling we can conjure up inside of us with enough spiritually motivated elbow grease. We need His healing touch. We need to be praying not so much for God to help us do things, but for God to do things that literally can't be done by us, and therefore He must intervene and do them, or all we're ever doing is appropriating God as an assistant 
in our lives. When was the last time our church prayed for something that was impossible to happen unless God came and did it himself? We don't pray like that. We pray, you help us do these things we want to do. We don't pray, do something that we cannot do. Right? Because we are convinced it's all on us. Beloved, it's not all on us. None of it is on us. We're the mouthpieces. To do this is the whole duty of man. We need to know who he is. We need to know who he is. Yes, as his disciples in his church, just like his disciples, after all this time, didn't really know, hadn't really grasped it. Crowd is gathering again. Jesus doesn't want premature recognition, remember, so he takes care of business. He rebukes the unclean spirit in verse 25. You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. It's a beautiful thing to say for the sake of that father. Jesus doesn't usually say that. It cries out, so the demon itself was not mute. It was afflicting the boy in that way. It tries to hang on and destroy the boy one last time, but the word of Jesus is too powerful. It flees. And it seems the demon has succeeded and the boy is dead. And listen, let's say the boy really did die. The language would allow for that. Well, this is Jesus. The one before whom even death must surrender. So in verse 27, Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. The boy is given back to his father alive, healed, and free from his oppression, which means What God said on the mountain was true. This is God's beloved son. He demands, he deserves our full attention here. Now, listen to him teach his disciples and us. Look at verse 28. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but Prayer. This is the second of three scenes here in this section in which Jesus follows a rebuke of their unbelief with a teaching on following him as the disciples are beginning to recognize that demonic influence is something that's going to be prevalent as the Messiah takes his throne. But now it's just them and Jesus. Why could we not cast it out? Again, why are they asking this? Because they think they should have been able to. Jesus had given them authority to cast out demons. They'd been successful in the past. What was different this time? Verse 19 revealed the primary problem, first of all, is that they were just like that father. They believed, but they were still also unbelieving. And now we're learning unbelief doesn't reveal that we don't have enough moxie in us to work up the amount of faith we need in any given moment, but that we have yet to believe in who Jesus truly is. We have yet to truly take him at his word and its intent for our lives as his disciples in this world, as his church. Verse 29 is just adding another layer to this, acting almost as a warning or admonishment about just how necessary the full picture of Jesus is going to be in our lives. This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Now, you have to stop and think for a minute. This is very strange. Very strange. Prayer hasn't been mentioned at all up to this point. And Jesus didn't pray to cast out this demon. You notice that. Have you ever noticed that? This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Well, you you didn't pray. You just commanded it to come out and it came out. So apparently, 
It's not that we have to learn to pray harder, right? To cast out a certain class of demon. That would imply then there are demons that need no prayer to cast out. Like, does it move in degrees? Prayer hasn't been a part of this episode at all. Faith has. Faith has. So, beloved, what is prayer? What is Jesus talking about? Is prayer the means by which, if we pray long enough and hard enough and get enough people doing it, because we're almost superstitious about it, right? Right? We, we are. We are. It has to be a, more people, um, more people aware of it, louder, harder prayers, then things get taken care of. Because what are we assuming? It's on us. God is has all these riches, all this power, all this glory, all this benevolence, but if you don't tap into it, he's not doing anything for you. Do you know what happens in a heart like that? As soon as you find a source that can, you'll worship that. Right? You, who needs Jesus if something else can make you healthy, wealthy, and wise? Right? What is prayer? Again, is it the means by which if we pray long enough and hard enough and get enough people doing it, then we'll get the things we want? Is that why God has given prayer to his disciples? Or is prayer not mainly about us, but about our God and our Father? Prayer is apparently much more than just a mere means of communication with God. It is that, at least that. But it is also the acknowledgement of our dependence on Him. Not just for healing intervention and things like this, but, beloved, for the appropriation of His power in our lives to accomplish His will. Some demons are in too deep. Sometimes that's literal. Most of the time in our lives, it's not going to be. The disciples were evidently beginning to think that their authority came from their own status as his disciples, or maybe that they had learned certain techniques from him, certain phrases to say from Jesus, and so that's what they were relying on. So they're doing this as Christians, they're just not able to complete the task. But faith in the person of Jesus was not the means they were employing to cast out this demon. That's precisely what Jesus proves by casting it out. He can do it. So if he can do it and they would have been tapping into him, it would have come out. It hadn't come out. They weren't going to him. I don't know that Jesus means there are certain kinds of demons that are harder to get out than others. It certainly could. There, I don't think that would be a crazy thing to assume. As much as he means that when my faith in God is lacking, what's ever in front of me is only going to move when I realize the necessity of my complete and utter dependence on Him, why do we get discouraged? Because we don't think we can accomplish things. We're just looking at ourselves, and so that's what we pray out of. Doubt, not belief. How does that get strengthened? Do I need a class? How to have more faith? No. I need to know who Jesus is. And His Word tells me. That's what the Holy Spirit living in me is doing. Testifying to me of Him. My picture of Jesus needs enlarged. The issue here is not the demon. 
The issue here is faithlessness in Christ. That's the issue in the text. The horrible effect this demon was having on this boy is mentioned four times in this story. Right? Mark wants us to know how afflicted this boy was, but so is faith or faithlessness mentioned four times in this story. And what's in the center of it? On one side, the malice of a demon. On the other side, the unbelief of the disciples in Israel. What's the center? Jesus. Jesus. Beloved, in ourselves, we are deaf. We cannot hear God properly. In ourselves, we are mute. We cannot speak His word with power on our own. We are as afflicted spiritually as this boy was physically. There's a reason when Jesus comes down off the mountain, the demon afflicting this boy is afflicting him by making him mute and deaf, unable to speak, unable to hear, which is just what the disciples are, because they don't trust in Jesus yet. Only one can deliver us from our affliction. And look, most of us here this morning believe in him. We just need to understand, yes, but in some sense, we also don't. And this kind of unbelief that's vacillating will only be driven out by full dependence on God in his son. There are some maladies that can't be healed by the flesh, like the lack of faith. Or by my rededication or my renewed discipline. Have you ever noticed that? That's the strings we pull on to get people tuned into God. You need to do more. You need to do this. No, I need for God to show up and do God things in me. That's what I need. Come to the altar to seek Him. Don't come to the altar to rededicate you. You've already failed. I've already failed. And the greater the time between failures, the greater the failure when it comes the next time because it's even less expected. I need to see Jesus clearly. If we want to reach Moundsville, do you know what we need to do? See Jesus clearly. He's the Savior. If the salvation of this valley is dependent on you and me, it's not going to happen. I woke up the baby. Right? We need Jesus. That approach to him, if you can, you can make me better. Think about that for a minute. What are you saying about Jesus, first of all? If you can, you can make me better. But I wonder if Jesus might say, why are you asking me like my job is to make you stronger? Why do you think that's what this is about? You need to see me more clearly. You need to hear me more clearly. You still don't fully know who I am, even though you do know me. He's not saying they aren't saved or we aren't saved. So why don't you ask me to touch your eyes and heal you? Right? Why don't you ask for that? Faith would look like you were desperate. It wouldn't look like you just needed a push. It wouldn't be ten of you and ninety of me. It would be a hundred me and zero you and watch me work through you. Why are you talking to me and praying like 
I'm supposed to come alongside you. You need to be in me. I'll do the walking. I'll do the talking. You abide in me. Because if you don't, how much fruit can you bear? None. None, beloved. Think of Jesus saying this. How do I abide in him? Where? How? Beloved, dependence. It, just just non-forgetfulness of my need. And for that, I'll need grace. So I, when can I not be looking to Him? When? At what point in my life? What need do I stand in front of that it doesn't have to be Him 100%? All the commands in Scripture. Beloved, how in the world do we obey these things? Because they're commands. Just, just look at the New Testament commands. You know, talking about not being under the law sometimes makes us think that now it's easy. My goodness. Jesus comes along and says, you thought it meant that you can't literally kill somebody and you're fine. I'm telling you that when you hate somebody, you killed them. You should go shoot them. It's the same thing. Or he didn't say you should go shoot them. You know what I mean. Right? But think, I, I want to ask you a question then. Okay? How many people have you murdered? How much blood is on our hands? How many people do we hate that we don't even know them? Why does that matter if I'm saved? Because you don't proclaim Christ to people you hate. Right? We, we, in, in our culture, right? There's the realm of politics and the parties and the media. And so we just learn to love and support and hate and despise. And beloved, look, love for the state is not the same as love for my neighbor. So, beloved, we, are you saying that I need that much mercy from Jesus, that I'm a murderer? Well, as he sees it, yeah. So, what are you trying to do to me? Beloved, drive you to dependence on Jesus. I can't stand up here and condemn you for your sins. I, I'm condemned for my own. I'm pardoned because of Jesus. It has nothing to do with me. A disciple of Jesus must take up the cross then of realizing things like when I'm weak, that's when I'm strong. Lord, make me weak so that you might be strong. I need to pray like this. I need to depend on him like this. Don't pray to be strong. Pray to be weak so that God can be strong. Flex his muscles for you. A disciple of Jesus must die to his or her desire to be great then and to be strong and to be super and decrease in order that he might increase. The greatest person born among women before Jesus was born said that about himself. John the Baptist said, I must decrease that he must increase. Don't be mad that more people are following Jesus now. John the Baptist said to his disciples, I need to go away. He needs to increase. Do we want to drive out the forces of the world, the flesh and the devil in our own hearts? than in our own towns and in our own churches. Look, that kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Why? Because prayer is the posture of dependence. This is not a sermon telling you to pray longer in the day. If that's what you want to do, beloved, by all means, do it. There's nothing wrong with that. If you want to pray more times during the day, wonderful. Don't hear me talking that down. I'm saying the issue is that prayer is the posture of dependence. That's why we need it. That's what it is. 
Right? We could say a truism. Show me your prayer life and I'll show you the extent to which you actually depend on God. I don't want you to be condemned by that. I just That might be a way to think through, okay, how much do I actually depend on God for everything in my life? Right? That might help us get our bearings. We must all realize in this time and in this place the necessity of full dependence on God to resist evil and to embrace the way of Jesus. Listen, we ought to be praying, mobilized, laboring for the sake of the nations as the church of Jesus Christ. But beloved, we cannot let the decline of our culture deter us from the calling of the gospel to my neighbor in Moundsville. I'm not called to save America. Acts tells me I've been placed on Tomlinson Avenue in Glendale for the people on Tomlinson Avenue in Glendale. Right? For that to catch my eye and not everything else in the world that I'm powerless to fight, that has to live in me and rest on me. For that, I need dependence on God. We don't just need to depend on God to save our country. I need to depend on God to save the people in 902 Tomlinson and 906 Tomlinson and 909 Tomlinson and all the other houses. And then we'll, God will make his way up 9th and 10th and Lee Street and all this, right? That's why we're here. For this, it requires full dependence on God. Don't lose sight of the people in front of you, the people in front of us. We not only need to realize what we're up against in the world, much more do we need to realize who is in our corner, though. He's overcome this world. He's already victorious over it. All our talk is of the evil and of the enemy. Like this is our fight and all we need to do is prepare and get ready. Well, then we're basically just trying to get God to tag along on our crusades. Oh, beloved, we need to remember Jesus, younger people. Younger people, you need to remember amidst the shouting around you from without and from within that Jesus is the king of you. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is your hope. Jesus is all that you need as you face your own sinfulness, as you face the onslaught of the world and its temptations and the devil against you. Don't take refuge in simpler things. Don't listen to voices that feel closer. Listen to Jesus. All things are possible for one who believes. Enlarge your picture of Jesus, younger people. And yes, older people, this generation is much different than the one even I was raised in. It's much different now. But you and I are still here. God has not removed us from the world in which we now live. In you and I is the response to the evil and unbelief of this day because in us is the gospel of life. You, beloved, you and I are the church God has for this hour, for this generation of souls on the planet. You and me. We are to speak now. We are alive for His purpose. We need to enlarge our picture of Jesus All things are possible for one who believes in Jesus. We'll rest in that sense when we're dead. Church, we need Him. We need Him 
for the Ohio Valley. We need him. We need to see Jesus. We need to hear him and listen. We need to speak his word. The kinds of evil and unbelief we face now in our culture, the kinds of evil and unbelief with which our own flesh still wrestles, these things will only be driven out by full dependence on him. Only on him. Beloved, the mountains our church stands before this morning. Can we reach this community effectively? Can we stand against the quickly rising tide of persecution? Can we make the changes we need to make to represent our Lord Jesus well in this time and in this place? Will we fully submit to his word as his church? Lord, we know who you are. We believe in you. Help our unbelief. The kinds in us that resist Lord Jesus will only be driven out by complete dependence on you. So teach us, Lord. Teach us how. Give us your grace. He will never leave, beloved. He will never forsake. All things are possible for one who believes in him. Not just the salvation of the uttermost sinner in this room this morning. In my opinion, that would be me but the salvation of everyone we love and know in this town. Look to Christ. Look to Christ.